We're live. All right. Welcome back today to Disaster Podcaster. This is episode 22. What's up, Toby? What's up, buddy? Toby and Clark here. Um, we're going to be a little bit loose today. We're going to um, be a little bit off script. We don't have a guest. Um, we're just going to be talking about a couple of different things, but one of the main things we're going to be talking about a lot today, save the eye rolls. I can see thousands of people saying, oh my gosh, let me tune it off. Knowing your numbers before you bail out and go to sleep. I want to just tell you, this is going to be real high level. We're going to keep it relational to our industry, but it, it literally is connected to so much that we talk about all the time. So just hang with us for it. If you hate it, I'll give you Toby's address and you can send us some hate mail. Um, other than that, you know, we'll be right back. Cool. Welcome back. Before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor of the podcast for Disaster Podcaster. It's Kahi. Uh, K-A-H-I-Kahi.io is where you can go and find them. There'll be a a link in the description and a URL here on the screen. Kahi is a really cool uh, and intuitive asset management tool for your fleet and your equipment and, and other things. So it's, it has a little bit of AI, artificial intelligence. It's doing some really cool things. It's what we call passive to some degree, meaning you don't have to interact with it, which is always a big concern to a lot of people. But it's really, really popular. It's growing, and they, um, they are – creating some integrations with other CRMs and some accounting software. So anytime you can add technology to an old industry, it's really cool. Yeah. And don't be afraid of the technology. No, you know? no, no. You know, I, I think um, I'm 49 this year and a lot of people say, oh, geez, you know, all these apps and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go back to pencil and paper. You can do that, but you're going to be the, about the only one. The world is not working. The moving way. on. The world's moving on. So thank you to Kahi. Um, uh, I was talking to Kevin Dooley, the owner, last night, texting, um, and he's gonna try. We're gonna try to get him here on a podcast in the next few weeks. Um, it's a lot more than just the software. Kevin's got a a really deep, rich background in this industry, and it leads to him finding the need to put this in place. Um, he did not see another option like it. So, shout out to uh, to Kahi. All right, so no guests today, just the two of us. But speaking of guests, um, I wanted to just give a big shout out to last week's podcast, which was uh, episode 21 with Reitz. Um, ah, so much fun, wasn't it? I mean, anytime you have dark guns, uh, or nerf oh, yeah. guns on a podcast, yep. it's always yep. a good time. Spoiler alert, there are nerf guns. <laughs> But, you know, that, that team is fun, and it was really gracious of them. They were all in different places, or most of them were in different places. Very busy, classes going on. We caught them in between some classes and breaks. But um, got a lot of feedback from people that enjoyed it. Um, lots of downloads for that. I mean, REITs has a big following and a big group. Um, and a lot of questions, I sent those straight over to to Rebecca. A lot of people asking about REITs TV, which was a, a, a really big spotlight of it. And so... Rebecca and then Meredith trying to, you know, we've got final end of the year classes to fill up some virtual, yeah. some in person. And she mentioned that she still had capacity for that. So if you haven't heard it, go back to episode 21. Uh, we'll put the link back down here again. It was a really, a really a good one. Um, Toby, I wrote this down on my little cheat sheet here over the last, probably since I've known you, but the last seems like two or three weeks, you have been recommending a book a lot to people. Um, the Power of Who. Incredible book. Tell us about it. Tell us, tell, us, tell us why you're recommending it and what context that is. Well, you know, everybody's always wanting leads, right? Everybody wants to pay for leads. Um, they, they're looking at Home Advisor. They're looking at um, the next TPA or program or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, you can pay for those. You can get on those services, but they're really expensive. Yeah. Um, and they're short-term. They're very transactional. Uh, I tell people, halfway jokingly but serious, I built my company on cups of coffee. <laughs> well, it, it's, a, it's a slow burn, right? It, it takes a while to get to where you're, you know, to where you want to be, but it's a more stable foundation. 
Um, and that all comes from the book, The Power of Who. Um, if you think of yourself on a dartboard, the illustration is in the book. You're on the bullseye. Every ring represents a relationship. The numbers on the dartboard is where your money is. Mm. Um, so you have to go through sometimes three or four relationships deep before you get to, to where um, your clients are. So um, it just talks about the whole idea of, of relationship marketing, I guess you could call it. Um, but I, I just found it to be a tremendous uh, asset to me and my business uh, when I was running my service business. And um, it, it, it made for some really good and long-term clients. Yeah. And I think when you're, when you're using that type of uh, relationship building, not only are there clients, but they're the kind of clients that support your brand. Yeah, and you know that that's an interesting point that a lot of um, you know Chuck in the truck or Stan in the van or guys that are or gals that are running a business and they're just thinking about trying to make that next dollar. Um, sometimes you get so hungry that you'll do just about anything for a buck, but if you can find the clients that you enjoy working with the most, number one, you've got to identify them, right? Mm -hmm. But then you've got to be able to find them. Um, it just makes your whole business ownership and entrepreneurial journey that much better because yeah. you're not working with people that are always asking for a discount or, yeah. um, you know, they don't value you. They don't value your business or your brand. Yeah. They just want the next best deal. Um, they're always going to be bottom feeders. Mm. But if you can develop a relationship with people um, and then they refer you to their inner circles. Right. That's when the multiplication. That's starts when happening. the multiplication starts to happen, um, and that is the power of who. Yeah, I'll stop right here and say our business here, Restoration Advisors, is built on this. We yes. do. We don't run any ads. We don't uh, have any. Uh, we may have a little bit of SEO. We do content marketing, which I think is that. Um, that's just branding. But uh, I I know that we both try our best to make the people that pay us super successful. Well, they, of course they get, they get social credit for re recommending that to other people. If they have friends in their circle that are struggling with something, there's some reciprocal value for them to say, well, I'm going to help them get out of it because that makes me feel good to help other people. And I have the answer to that, whether it's this or a plumber or electrician or something like that. And so. you know, you, you, you said a word right there. Um, reciprocal. Yeah. The power of who is mm -hmm. reciprocal. Yeah. Um, you know, you will only, you can work with anyone, but ultimately you want to work with those. If you send them business, they're going to also send you business and it's yeah. a reciprocal relationship. Now yeah. you're going to have friends, right. That aren't necessarily going to like, you have to just understand a business relationship uh, and, and focus and hone in on those who are reciprocal. Cool. Um, also, I, I've, I've added this to my reading list. I'm actually got, I've got about six or four others to go before that, but I've added it probably need to, um, bounce it a little closer. But I, I, I think when I hear you talk about it, the reminder to most people, and there's maybe a lot of people listening, watching, um, that they say, well, I, I do that pretty well, but I think what people forget is you know enough people, most people know enough people to sustain your business, at least to get off the ground for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and the more you, like, like I said, this is a snowball thing. This is yeah. a slow burn thing. Um, you've got to start make get that initial momentum, but then it, it just starts propelling and uh, exponentially growing. But yeah. you for sure, and I mean, again, you know, I, I started with Home Advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, I shouldn't say I started. After a few months of, of struggling, um, I did go with the, the route of Home Advisor, and I mean, I'm telling you, it killed me. It well, absolutely killed me. You have a cost of acquisition that you have to look at. Yeah, you do. And I eventually got to the point, I was like, I'm just, I'm working for nothing. Mm -hmm. And then I, I started looking around at like where my, the, my favorite business was, mm -hmm. and it was all referrals. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to put my money into cups of coffee, get to know other business owners and business leaders in my area. And just build from there um, and never regretted it. Never regretted it. Well, some of this is going to come up in our conversation later because I think, you know, we're talking about when you know your numbers and you know what it actually costs to be profitable tonight, what your overhead is, what your cost of acquisition is, you start getting a little pickier on where you get your work because you yeah. know you have to. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Well, 
pick up the Power of Who. We'll have the link in the link description. In the description. Yep. Power of Who, good book. Um, my turn. I'm reading, uh, listening to. Uh, I go back and forth between Audible. Depends on who it is, but I'm listening to the Audible the day it came out. Of Dave Grohl, his memoir. Dave Grohl was the drummer for Nirvana, and now is the drummer and lead singer and founder and frontman for Foo Fighters. Um, this book is it's long. It's like eleven hours. It's, wow. it's, it's really big. But um, uh, this guy uh, from DC. He grew up in Springfield. Wow. Um, his story. If you if you know only know Dave Grohl now, like maybe you'll say, "Hey, I like you know I like." Blake Shelton, I don't like listening to that. Great, uh, Blake probably has a Blake has a, probably a good book in him that he should write too. But um, listen, I, I I love music and love musicians. But listen, listening to this story, and I knew a little bit about his backstory. But the what it took for him to get where he is now. We look at people where they are now. Bill Gates, Elon. You know how many shit sandwiches they had to eat. Dave is talking about four guys deep traveling the country with a group called Scream, a punk rock band playing clubs where they hoped they had 50 people in a Dodge van crossing the country 7,000 miles around, stinky eating pork and beans and maybe some crackers and hoping they had enough gas and getting robbed, doing drugs. And um, it's not all roses, man. And then it gets to here. um, But, you know, my thing I'm taking away, and I'm I'm probably 20% into the book, um, if you like music, if you don't listen to it, he's freaking grateful. I mean, the guy, and he's super smart. He's super smart, but he's super grateful that I can sit if I want to and think about all of the really, really hard days. But my gosh, I'm just thinking about the great days. And he's got some daughters now, and, and they ask him about Kurt Cobain. His daughters are saying, What was it like to know Kurt? We don't know much about him. And he says, It's real a sensitive topic to talk about. So. I'm enjoying that book a whole lot. So if that's if that's up your alley, you can, I can I can find any book I read. I can find a way it can enrich my life. And I mean, books are education, yeah. life or your business. And if you aren't looking, if you're just doing it to pass the time, there's easier ways. You can listen to podcasts. You'll learn something, but you got to really take stuff away from it to make yeah. that a memorable experience. So make application. Yeah. Um, let us know what you're reading. Uh, Toby and I are always trying to. In, improve our library of what we've read again i i probably have uh, i probably have about eight or nine deep i've got i've got the runways full you know yeah i I do i had to take a break from books yeah i did podcasts i like crime documentaries really yeah so i i I, um took a break from books and Mm. did some podcasts for a while but uh i'm getting the itch to go back to the to uh, the audible I've never listened to a podcast besides I don't even listen to ours. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. There's some good uh, ones out there. You know when Laney told me he said I I'm gonna be you know, Laney was what two two episodes ago, Chris Laney. I'm gonna be on your podcast, but I don't know how to find it. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us what you're reading. Um I will add that because we do get asked a lot, um, but from peers but also from clients, what book can you recommend for my project manager for time management or for relationships or something like that? Yeah. Um I am working with our developer to put a page on our website of, of a masterclass, a library, a library masterclass of what we think are good books. And we will take recommendations for people, add them to that. We'll drop the Amazon link in there. People can order it. Um, I just think, you know, just enriching. I think a lot of people are really, a lot of entrepreneurs love to learn from that. So really cool. But let us know what you're reading. Let us know what, what, uh, what we don't, what we don't know. Cause um, it'll go on the list and, Hopefully we'll get to it. We'll get to it one day. And we'll get to it on one day. Let's shift gears for a second. Um, has it been a week ago we had a webinar? Yeah, it's been right about a week. Wednesday last week, maybe yeah. Tuesday week. Uh, we had a webinar with about, I think we had about 22 to 24 people. Um, we did not record it. I wish we had. It was kind of set up to be a private a more of a private issue, not private or private issue. Yeah. Um, but I think that it was so strong and, and what it was about, and it came from probably both of us, get a lot of clients and see a lot of posts, relationships with referral partners, it's specifically agents and, and maybe some adjusters that still will refer you work if they can. Mm-hmm. Relationships with these parties taking into account the friction that is 
currently there with the pricing of work that we do. Um, it's increasingly getting tougher. To, uh, obviously, we're talking about Xactimate mostly. Yeah. But however you um, estimate your work is, it, you know, there's just so many myths and misconceptions and lack of education. And I think that's what we took away from this thing. There were a couple of adjusters on there. Yeah. Yeah. The, those are, they actually had some really interesting. They feedback. did. Yeah. Some ex-adjusters. One was a 25, uh, 25 year veteran of a very large insurance company. And he just basically said, said, guys, it's easy to get real mad at these folks, but they're just doing their job. But there's a lack of education. They don't know. They don't know how to run a business. Right. They don't know what your cost is. And they don't know that you can no longer get techs at 16 bucks an hour. They're wanting 22. But the software that you're using or whatever methodology you're using without explanation is not supporting that that jump. So I just wanted to shout out. We had a lot of people call us after that call. Um, it's probably something we'll do around that again. Maybe. maybe yeah, we should. And we, I, th- I mean, I think we should record it because I think there was a lot of a lot of interest lot of and people couldn't necessarily make it. So. A lot of a lot of pain though. A lot of uh, and it still come up. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people that were on there said, "I hear you loud and clear." It all makes sense. It's nothing we didn't really already know, but they're still our referral partners. And we still, it's, if we don't have work from them, who do we get it from? And again, I think this is a good conversation today. Power of who? The power of who? I mean, you, you know, you, like I said, you can, you can get referrals from anyone, yeah. but find the referrals. And, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk about the, the cost of acquisition, mm-hmm. but go find the referrals that, that are cheaper cost of acquisition and they're going to give you a, a better ROI. This pin, this pin, Toby has one too. They're expensive. I don't have one like yours. Yeah, you do. <laughs> this pin's expensive and it, it costs a lot to make and I'm sure they mark it up. If the manufacturer or retailers or distributors of this, they have to find the audience that wants to pay that just because people want it for less. Doesn't mean they sell it to them for less. They're going to keep finding and they're going to advertise it and they're going to, they're going to market it and brand it. And they're going to find a following. I'm a raving fan of this brand. So are you. I will buy this pin. And if they come out with something different, I'll probably buy that pin. And that's what is you're talking about earlier. But you have to get, they have, they had to go find the market that was willing to purchase. What would happen if they sold this pin for 10 and 10 over cost? Oh, they, they wouldn't. They're done. They're done. Yeah. They're done. You can't, you can't stay open. Now I'm sure they had conversations that they're, conference table saying we, we've got to sell some cheap to get the good. Listen, Walmart has made a living off of that. You can sell at Walmart, but they're going to cut your prices 30%. You're going to think you're, I've, I've watched a lot of, I've, I know people personally that have gone broke trying to sell to Walmart because they will tease you in with volume, but without profit. It's a race to the bottom. It's a race to the bottom. So that webinar was really good. I just wanted to bring that back up. Um, so, Toby, we were talking about books. What book are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about markup and profit, and we will have a link in the description. Um, hold I it had up, never hold seen it up one it. more time. I'd never seen it um, before. You know, before you showed it to me, but yep. this is this is incredible. I started thumbing through here, thinking, "Geez, I wish I had this when mm. I was running my business." <laughs> I mean, literally formulas for days on how to calculate different types of profit, um, your revenue, your overhead. I mean, all the stuff is in here. It's incredible. Um, yeah. I, and we talk about numbers all the time with, with, with our clients, Mm -hmm. um, knowing your numbers is one of the, probably one of the most overlooked subjects because everyone's afraid of it. I know I was for a long time. Mm. Um, it took me sitting down with my CPA and saying, man, I, what am I, what, what's going on here? You just do it. He's like, well, I can do it for you, but you still have to know your numbers so you can make decisions. I'm a data guy, but I hate accounting. Yeah. So, and they are two different things. They're very different things. They're very different things. Um, but this book really just, it lays it out. It makes it fairly easy to understand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the author is Michael Stone. Um, I've had this book a few years. I've breezed through it a few times. And um, it's just it's as relevant now as it always has been, and, and I've brought it up in the last few days, and some people really grabbed onto some of the concepts that are well, in I mean, there. Yeah, I mean, we've had uh, what at least three to five conversations about yeah. knowing your numbers just this week. Just this week. Just this week. Yeah. So 
I, I'm going to go through. We're going to keep this real high level, but I want to. Um, we're we're going to have some on-screen. You're going. You know, this is being recorded. You might be listening to Audible. Um, you might, you know, at least go to the description and get the book. But we're going to be talking about some things. It will not be massively visual, but I want. I'm looking at the book to kind of just high level go through a few things. So it starts out, you know. First off, anything else is Michael Stone is going to tell you he's been doing this a long time as a contractor in GC for GC for 20 years. And now he is coaching people across the country and the world in the area of construction. He is in that niche construction, which includes new construction, remodeling and specialty niches. Now, our podcast audience is probably primarily going to be people into the specialty niche. Mm -hmm. Um, which is uh, property restoration and, and more specifically the drying and the cleaning of structures following a fire water. So you are a specialty niche, and each one of these segments have a different have different overhead. A GC doesn't have the overhead of a water damage restoration company. Right. Um, that's if you work if you have a staff or if you work with uh, subs, you've got two different business types there, but both require knowing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so my bookmark, our buddy, Chad, WCC, WCC, Wyoming. uh, Wyoming, uh, cleaning care in, uh, Gillette, Wyoming, good, good friends of ours, Tanner. And, uh, they, they've got, they've got playing cards, a deck of cards on my desk. I used it for, uh, it's useful. This was a great gift. This is a great gift. And this is, this is how he markets his who gets that. Um, this book starts out with a lot of, you know, just high level and, and, Statistics are great. I want to go over one little section here, and it's called Reasons for Failure. Um, in Michael Stone, the author's experience, and probably yours, and I know for mine, failure in this industry can be categorized in, in, in probably some more ways than this, but this is just some of them. And I'm going to go through them real quick. Don't want to spend a lot of time. Uh, there's six of them here. Again, you probably relate to some of them. You may have others, but not charging enough for their work. That's simple. I, again, we're in this weird industry where people have a real problem with that sometimes. Failure to use or improper use of change work orders. You told me we almost don't use those at all in this industry. Yeah, there we we talk about you know that that's almost a, a new phenomenon <laughs> that we've been talking about um since I really came on board. Yeah. Um it's just not really used in this in this space of the uh, construction industry, which is really interesting to me because, you know, you can price something looking at a wall, but when you start ripping that wall apart, yeah. you can say, oh, boy, it's well, more. So on the construction side of our industry, there's a term supplements. That's a real popular word. That is going – that is a change order thing. But what I think what we're seeing in our industry for that is um, carriers who generally – you know, have adjusters, they're wanting to set a reserve, a book placeholder for an amount. And it, they have learned to tell you that I don't want to deviate from that number. Oh, so then we get, we get reluctant to do that. But if you find extra work, what I, what I think happens is when you're not going to get paid for the extra work, number one, you're not going to do it and you're going to cut that corner. Or number two, you're going to do that work and you're going to lose money. And you're going to lose money. And then you're going to be looking. And unfortunately in our industry, guys, a lot of people – when they're not making good money, they're forced to be less than honorable, and they start making up or fluffing and adding well, things. There, it, I see two kinds of people. There's the folks that will cut corners, but the vast majority of people that we talk to, and you know, we have some great people in our circles, are extremely empathetic. Yeah. I mean, off-the-charts empathetic. So if you have off-the-charts empathy and you're trying to run a business, you're going to end up doing the work hoping that insurance will pay you and if they don't, then you've done the work because you're so empathetic that you're you're willing to go out of your way to help your client and burn your pocket at the same time. Well, this also goes back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago. You've got a relationship with an agent or adjuster there, so you just want to keep them happy because they're telling you that's they're a only whole gonna, other story. That's a whole other story, that's but this ties story, into that. Yeah. The next one's failure to use or improper use of legal contracts. This is bad. This is pretty yeah. bad. Um, you know, we sell we sell a package of of documents and for restoration advisors, just because this is such a big issue. Uh, we'll put a link at the bottom, but, and it's, it's not, it's contract, it's hold harmless, it's releases. 
uh, customers' right to know, a lot of different things. But just generally, I've seen so many things done without a contractor. Would not I have seen in our industry someone using a contract that they got from a landscape company or pest control. Um, yeah, I, I doubt that was reviewed by an attorney. No, no. <laughs> well, they went to Facebook. Oh, they, yeah. Somebody on Facebook, give it to them. If it came from Facebook, it's hey, got Give me your true. email address. I'll send you what I'm using. Yeah. Okay, so improper use of legal contracts, it's a whole other conversation. Um, yeah, okay. Too many employees for the volume of work being produced, which means, uh, again, you have to know your overhead. You've got to know your numbers uh, to know how many employees you have. You actually might have too, f too few employees. Can I was going to well. say, I think that's really difficult to do in this day and age. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> like, I got to get rid of three people. <laughs> yeah, way too many people. And if you, if you have people to get rid of right now, let us let know. Let us know. We know some people can, that need more. Yeah, we can place them pretty But quickly. But I, I can see that, I, um, you know, you're trying to find, in, in our industry, there's a lot of documentation. There's a lot of administrative effort. So you might, um, I always call it the middle belt, uh, that, that, that administrative middle managers, supervisors, heavily loaded. What we're doing when we load up with supervisors in that middle weight is we're not putting enough accountability on the technicians or the people doing the frontline work. And we're, we're supplementing with sometimes people that aren't billable and ends yeah. up hurting our con company. And again, reason for failure. Next one, um, improper payment schedules on the contracts. Uh, that's a cash flow issue. Um, a lot of people think that thirds are okay, especially on the construction mitigation. Forget about it. We're financing the whole thing. So not a good business practice. No. And you know, there's not, I, you've heard me say it this way, but there's not a, a lot of times in the contracts that we look at, there's not enough pain, um, from a late fee perspective to, for anyone to even be concerned about, or yeah. now, there may be some limitations on a state level, you know, and again, that's why you would need to get your attorney involved, but you need to make it as painful as possible so that yeah. they're they're encouraged heavily um, yeah. to pay on time. You know, I, th I think, um, yes. Yeah, so you, you've got to set the expectation with the customer. Right? Yeah. A good friend of mine, Jerry Edel, you've heard me say this before. He, he says, any, any business transaction you go into, your first two questions are who's going to pay me and when. And when. Um, based on that conversation, it's how we move forward. Yeah. If it's I don't know on either one of those, we might slow down Let's a little bit. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then the last one here is lack of profitable sales. And there's good reason that people do uh, get, you know, not not good sale. And, you know, they get work, revenue versus profit. Um, uh, this is not, you can't see the picture, but I've got a sign that says uh, gross, what is it, uh, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. Yeah. Cash is king. Yeah. Yeah. So this book has a lot of, uh, of more about this and I found it really interesting. Again, some of that you may understand. Some of you may say I'm in that position, but, um, check it out. Uh, and, and I, I think Toby's right on, on many of those things. The next section before we go into the numbers is, is another kind of a realization that Michael has or summarized here. And it's the five basics for survival. If you and I know this applies, Toby. You've read yeah. this part, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. And I, and I love number one. So you've got five basic for survival, which means if you're going to start a construction company or anything sub level of that, uh, it, again, probably a lot more than just this. But these are five good ones that you need to be prepared to have. Yeah, yeah. You know, the first one is journeyman's level of competency. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that mean? <laughs> What does that mean to what what does that mean? It means that you need to be at least equipped to be able to go and identify the challenges of the project and then have a basic level of understanding of how to resolve those problems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I started my business, I had it had been a long time, but I'd been in the industry for a, a period of time when I was in college. So I had a basic understanding. I went and took some classes. Yeah. to brush up on my, my understanding of the, of the job that I was going to be doing. Um, I, we have a few clients that, um, I, they struggle in this area. I would say, um, don't know. Cut. Journeyman's level of competency is the first 
five basics of survival. Tell us what you think that means. Uh, I mean, really, it, 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 it means that you have to have a basic knowledge to be able to go to a project and identify the challenges or the problem. Not only should you be able to identify the problem, but also have a basic understanding of what it's going to take to resolve that problem. Um, you know, when I was starting out, I, I had worked in the industry when I was in college. Um, it had been, I don't know, probably 10 years. And then I had the opportunity to start my own business. So I had enough to get started, but I, for the, for the sake of my clients, I went ahead and got some outside education to brush up on my skills, um, and my knowledge. Um, you know, we have, we, people in our circles that they're doing the work, um, but I'm not sure that they have a journeyman's level of competency. They may now, but yeah. when they started their business, they didn't. And that is, that's quite a leap of faith. You know, our, our trade that we're speaking to and, and here, our, our trade is, is it's a specialty. So if I wanted to open a cell phone repair store or a cell phone sales store, I could probably open that up and, and do it and figure that out without it costing me hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, the, you wouldn't become a doctor without the training, no. right? You, you can't become a plumber. And, and some of these are, some of these are regulatory things. Our industry, unfortunately, unfortunately is not, I wish it was required to have yeah. a journeyman's level. And, and what this means is you've done this thing for, and, and it's an arbitrary number. I think the book says six to eight solid years. Maybe you're a quick learner. Maybe it's sooner than that. But what we see is when people, and then we also have franchises. Our industry is heavily with franchise and independent. People think that, well, I can get a franchise and it's a turnkey operation. It's not. You know, you, know, you don't go to a class at our dear friends at REITs. They don't show you how to run a business. They don't right. show you how to handle all the complexities. They, show, they give you the basic certification understanding of the technical part of water contamination and drying dehumidification psychometrics and things like yeah. that. But there's so much more to this than that. And and then what we see and what I see a lot, Toby, is when you don't know how to do it yourself and you're learning as you go, it's really hard to train other people. Yeah. Uh, they're learning it's with super you. Super hard to scale. It's hard, hard to scale, which is why I think the timelines of this match up to what we hear from a lot of people. I don't think you have a really successful business in most cases, 90%, 95% of the times until after eight to 10 years, you start to really level out. You've got some things figured out. You've paid all the dumb tax. We've heard that yeah. term a lot. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's one thing to be a hard worker. Mm-hmm. I think I made a post this week and it was really resonated with a lot of people. Are you going to be a great risk restoration operator and technician or are you going to be a great company that does that? There's and either one of those is fine. Hundred percent. You have to. You just have to understand what it is. They're you, not the same thing. You want to do mm-hmm. what your goals are. Yeah. And then just chase that and go deep with that. Um, yeah. it, it's perfectly fine to be a, a, a great owner operator if that's all you want to be. Yeah. And I'm not telling anyone in this industry that is has worked for someone else that went and started a restoration company that they can't do it. Number one, if you're doing a bad job. We're going to call you out. Everybody, right. Our industry will look out for that because not only is it the competency issue, but it's also the health hazard of this. If you do our industry wrong, if you don't know what you're doing, you actually put you can make people sick. You can make people sick. You can hurt your employees' safety issues. But I'm not saying you're going to be a failure. I'm just going to say you're going to struggle. And this is what this is. These are the five basics for survival. Don't sell your company. Go back and work for somebody for eight years. You can get through this, but. Don't keep opening more. Don't chase hurricanes in your second year of business. Yeah. Okay. Second one. Understanding of the sales process. <laughs> I'm not in sales. You better learn how to sell. What's the first line? First line says, remember, nothing happens until somebody sells something at a profit. Everybody's in sales. Everybody's in sales. And you know, it's, what's interesting is when I, um, I, when I was in corporate before I had my own business, there's mm-hmm. two things I said, I would never be a business owner and a salesperson. Yeah. Never was going to be those. Ironically, those are the two things, mm-hmm. obviously to be a good, a business owner, you have to be in sales, you do. right? But I, I, there's nothing I enjoy more than 
building the real and see i look at sales different mm -hmm. it's not a transaction for me it's a relationship i'm a relationship guy so sales is fun to me now yep. because i understand that it's about the relationship i get it and and that's the slippery slope that in our industry a lot of people say well there's really not much of a sale people have a flood in their house we're going to go do it but they're also saying there's a set price for that that the insurance is dictating and that price is not making you profitable you do know you need to know how to sell you need to, have to sell yourself your team your brand mm -hmm. um zig ziglar here it says uh selling is the highest paying hard work and the lowest paying easy work so yep. i thought that was pretty good uh third one a commitment to education so important yeah especially in this industry where like we just said not doing it right can make people sick or worse yeah um incredibly important but not just on the technical side there has to be a commitment to education on the business side because right now i you could say we're still in the middle of a pandemic i we're on the back of the bell curve the epidemic I, of the pandemic yeah <laughs> i don't even know what we're in anymore but times are different yeah even though you know argue where we're at in the pandemic on the backside, we're still in the middle of whatever times are different than they were a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, if you're not educating yourself on what's going on around you outside of your community, outside of your business, outside of your state, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. Well, I think, um, I think so inside the technical part of our industry, I, I mean, our, the restoration drying industry cleaning issue is, is it's, it's young in, in the real, we might be into our second, generation of it a little bit into a second maybe a third um it came from carpet cleaning mm -hmm. but there is there are still new education new processes new things our s500 changes our standards yeah. change so there's that but there's also take the technical out of it take all that out the consumer you have to get to, your education is not just read how to dry read how to clean you've got to understand marketing because the consumer shops differently now yeah Technology is changing. Your apps, where your customers are finding you, it takes education. It takes research for you. You you got to. This has a commitment. Just commit yourself to. You will not put it in cruise control in year four and just cruise on. If you do, you're blockbuster. Yeah, years four to seven are very deceiving. Yeah. <laughs> very I deceiving. I wonder if the people at the phone book companies had a commitment to education. Or not did they see it coming i don't know i don't i don't know i mean they tried to go the web route i don't know if that did. really did much for them but um, you know actually i want to go back to go. um to the number two understanding the sales process mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about it more recently now that staff has been become such an issue um you almost have to sell your company oh, yeah. to potential employees um and it's mm. become even more important recently in the last year um to become an attractive company for people to want to work for you um, because it's so hard to find people. So you actually have to make a sale and get those, to get those employees on board. Yeah. I just saw a post yesterday from a guy in the Chicago land area. He's offering a $2,000 sign on bonus just to get some water restoration. People what's in. funny. What's funny is it's, it's that that's going to work for a certain, but there are people, I think the right people, it's not just the money at all. No, it, it's not. I'm just yeah. saying, like, yeah. you know, people are going to extreme measures of to get people on board. But, so. they're, but they're avoiding what they should be doing. Again, I would say I agree with you, Toby, but I, I think it's it's more – I think it's a different angle of a challenge. But I would tell you that I think in, for eternity, high energy, great leadership, great visionaries have always – attracted the right people because they sold their brand they sold the mission mm -hmm. um, the real ceo of a company by the way doesn't sell to the public they sell to internally this is where we're going this is where i think we have i think every one of you has the potential daily they come in and they remind everybody of it and they encourage them and coach them and i think that's in the trades in the contracting world we're focused on the the the, the micro and not the macro but I think it's a, that is sales. You're right. I think yeah. that you're marketing yourself and your company never ends. It changes and your company changes. So some yeah. people, some people do it really, really well. So I would recommend look around your industry, see who's doing it. Well, pick up the phone, drop them a PM, ask them to have a conversation, go out and visit them and see what they're doing. Right. Yeah. That's education.
It's not always, you know, a, it's it's not always a book. Yeah, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, understanding the sales process to attract talent, um, but it's educating yourself. So it's a combination of the two. It so. is. Number so, four. Number four, understanding of markup, gross margins, and break-even points. Talk a little bit about that. It says these are just fundamental things you've got to know in business, know what your markup should be, um, what your gross margins are, and and what you need to do a month as it relates to your overhead. It goes back to some people have too many employees. And again, that's not necessarily a big issue. Now, some people move into big buildings when they should stay in their garage a little longer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't need new shiny vehicles. I know that's part of marketing, but you can really do a lot with the used vehicles. So, you know, and, and, and a lot of people get a sales team, a real expensive sales team, when the owner is still probably in the best position to sell, but the owner is so busy trying to become a journeyman. So, yeah. I, but I, you have to understand your gross margin and, and, and net. A lot of, we, we hear a lot of that. People don't talk about net. They talk about gross. Uh, I, you know, I got 70% net margins. I got 80% net margin. If you got 80% 80 net margins on a restoration job, I tell everybody all the time, you're leaving something out. You're not, you're, you're cutting, your work is not that good For, to do a really, I, I think everything is different. I'm not stating what you should be, but if someone says, Hey, what's a good gross margin for drying and mitigation i think it's a little different because drying is a lot of equipment but don't discount your equipment it, there is a cost to that yeah but i think you're at 65 percent maybe 60 um and then you've got your overhead and you know i would tell you a safe a safe a high level overhead unsafe is 30 plus 30 percent and that means you do a million dollars a year if it costs you three hundred thousand dollars or more to run your business that's cutting into what you keep. I think I think everybody understands that from some level, but this book really helps you understand that. But I, I think you should try to get your your overhead in the twenties. Um, you have other, you know, conditions. You have places, you know, regional areas are more expensive. Uh, yeah. you have a franchise of royalties. Yeah, royalties. And you know, you can't change some things. Your overhead is gonna be what it is to you have to operate. People need to make good money. You have to send people to training. Toby, how do you how do you compensate for that? You raise your prices. Yeah. It's the only thing you can do. You have to be okay saying for me to operate the company the way I have it structured, the way we're built, to offer the way the service that we want to service, it requires me to charge this much. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. Yeah. So that was number four. What's number five here? A ready a, a ready and willingness to work hard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes hard work is not just physical, it's mental too. Yeah. In this industry, you know, it may be in the middle of the night after a long day. Yeah. Um, you did not pick you did not pick a passive income industry. This is not passive. This, this is, is not this is passive. not this is not real estate development. This is not this is not an online business. I mean, listen, we run an online business to some degree. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, I think that uh, you have to prepare yourself that you're not going to get rich doing this the right way. Mm -hmm. You'll have some fortune. Um, the more you know, the better you'll do. But I, I think you've got to plan for the first couple of years to be ready for 60-hour weeks. Yeah. Um, and even once you get past that, I mean, we, we have a, a good client, um, you know, doing really well. Mm -hmm. um, but this week was hit with some pretty hard stuff. He was. You know, and even even with some success, you're still going to have to work hard. Yeah. It, it's, it's a different kind of work hard. Mm -hmm very stressful it is. um but you know it, it's it again it's not a passive income stream here. you got to be ready for that because the day you take your foot off the pedal the day you 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 check out is when it creeps up on you yeah. um you've got a ship that you've built and anything that has any ship any car is going to start springing leaks and you've got to be ready to plug them because as you put miles on something i know it's a weird metaphor but i think it works as, yeah, as you put miles does. on your business it's going to have some cracks. People are going to leave. Um, there's going to be theft. There's going to be change in your market. You got a new competition. Yeah. You're going to you're going to jump back in there, and it's easier. I love the term. It's easier to stay started than to get started. If you're already running hard, or you find your pace that you're this is hard work. If you stay going, but if you check out, you've got a, it takes a lot of energy and momentum to ramp back up. And get that back just where you are. really brought in the 50 mile ruck that I did a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the big fifty mile ruck here. So we talked about a, some some really good things there. Um, 
again, I don't want to put anybody to sleep here. Um, I just want this book has it all. I do recommend you get. Hey, listen, guys, this big old. What is, how many pages is this? Two hundred, two, three hundred? Oh, three hundred fifteen pages. Twelve dollars. Forget about it. Get it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Definitions, markup. Markup is what you need to add to your to your job. You're going to have to mark it up. If um, if this pen manufactured, I had this lesson with my son one day. We wrote the pen. It was a, a, a gazinga. Forget about it. Um, if it costs $5 to make this pen, I can't just sell it for 7 and expect to have $2 because someone has to ship it, make it, market it, store it. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Warranty. You're going to get some breakdowns, and that comes back into your overhead. You need to find out what it costs your overhead. You need to have a profit. You know, probably twelve to fifteen dollars. We were talking, we we're talking earlier about you know uh, about some of this and, and Shark Tank. And Shark Tank. Um, who watches? Who watch? You watch it? You watch Shark Tank? Uh, some. Yeah. Some. Not not an avid watcher, but they ask what's a profit they well they they ask what you know yeah what's your net what's your gross profits but what do you make you to make it what do you what's what do you, what, what do you, you know kevin o'leary mr wonderful what do you make it for what do you sell it for well i make it for a dollar 25 and i sell it for 23 dollars. yes you know they're all like this is a good business right in our industry there are people who would say that's that's that's, that's outrageous that's, that's theft, that's theft you, yeah. are, you are crooked now i'm not even talking about the carrier saying i'm talking about your competition your customer, yeah. if you can't tell the story about why you need to be profitable, they need to add this to the reasons people fail. Mm-hmm. It's part of selling. Yeah. It's part of selling, right? Um, so that's the definition of markup. Uh, profit requirements. Um, I'm just going to keep it high level. Profits required a good profit. Yeah. I mean, you got you have to be able, and I, I don't want to use the word finance, but you have to be ready to answer the call in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And have the funds to go do the work uh, on the next big job that could come in. Uh, and if you don't have the profits, you're going to be borrowing money. You're going to be doing all kinds of crazy stuff trying to get to that next big job. Yeah, profit. I could give you a hundred examples why profit is. Uh, profit's not a four letter word. It's actually six. So don't let anybody be- tell you that profit it's a bad, is, is it's a not bad, a bad it's thing. A, that's not a bad thing. It does make you evil. Um, you're paying profit on everything you do. Uh, the fans you buy guy's got to put some profit on that thing right so but yes toby's right you have to have profit um especially right now in our business you're financing work you're you're funding jobs that you won't get paid for for minimum 28 to 35 40 days um lord knows if you get a surge a, a flood or frozen pipes or a wildfire and an opportunity arises so profit comes into seizing opportunity you have mm-hmm. the capacity to do something but you can't afford to yeah you've got to now pick up 14 jobs go rent some equipment bring in some subs and some extra co- all this extra cost all this extra labor that you're now financing but you look at your bank account and it's like i'm only going to get through payroll next week i can't do any of that work all of a sudden you can't grow and take opportunity the one thing you were hoping would happen or you someone you've been marketing to a commercial client calls you with a flood of a warehouse. You're going to go run out there and do it, but you're going to run it on the cheap. You're going to try to use your own people, which is only three of them, and they're all burnt out. And you're going to use just the equipment you've got instead of getting more equipment or renting it. You're not going to do the job well. You yeah. might get kicked off, and then guess what? You're not going to get that call again. You're back You're back to square one. You've got to have enough profit to put your best foot out there and go overboard. Now, you might not know how to run a big project like that. And I would say don't try if you don't. But um, profit's important for a thousand reasons. And I think everybody listening knows this. Knowing it and, and doing it is two different things, especially when you have an adjuster hollering at you that they're not going to pay for overhead and profit. Well, and people ask, how much? How do I know how much profit I need? And I think that goes into this. You have got to you've got to learn your overhead. You've got to learn your terms, your, your, your payment schedules. We talked about the contracts. You got, if I'm not getting paid. Uh, if I'm going to do this reconstruction and I've only got a third of it, it's not enough for the materials. I got to pay some subs. These all things are not one answer answers all. These are all m- very challenging things. This is why you're the owner and you're not the tech. You're not the, if you're listening to this and you are the owner and if you're work, if you're listening to this and you work for someone 
and you think that the owner is making huge money and blah, 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 and I need a raise every three weeks and I I did something great today, I would challenge you that you probably should start asking for some transparency on the on the, on the the yeah. P&L to, to understand, I wouldn't say dire, but where the company is financially because I think you'd be surprised. I, I know when I show my employees a P&L, they're like, I knew we paid for stuff, but that's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of commas every month. Whether you're busy or not, that's, yeah. that cost is still going to come. Well, I mean, that's in this conversation really turns into why a lot of people end up living the e-myth, right? Yeah. You know, I you get that technician or that senior tech or the project manager says, ah, I'm not getting paid enough. I can make more money on my own because they see what's being billed but they don't ever get to see the P&L, and then all of a sudden they're struck with the realization once they do launch on their own, oh, boy, this costs a lot more than I thought. Well, and I think this also causes a lot of people to stay small. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know those things. That's that's a territory I'm not strong in. That's, that's a scary place. Um, I'm just going to stay where I'm comfortable. Um, I don't know how, and then they'll say, I don't know how to get past where I'm at. But the past is right here, and this is the beginning of this. These are these are the kinds of things where you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. But you've got to learn what you don't know. You you now know how to clean and dry, and you're you're top in that area. Great doesn't mean anything if you can't do more of it. And I always love to say, if you are proud of the work you do in your business, you owe your community and your customers to be profitable so that you can help more people. Because if you stay small and you can only help 2.3 people at a time or families at a time, and you know there's some bad actors in your market, you're pushing people to them because you're not giving them an alternative. And I think that's a – I call that as a as a higher calling of being profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, I had a note here about O&P. O&P is a big conversation in our industry. Uh, 10 and 10 – Forget it. This book's going to prove it to you. If you're likely, if you're only putting 10 and 10 on your jobs long-term, you're not going to get far or you're, you're not going to make it. He talks about it and explains it. 10 and 10 is not enough to cover your overhead and certainly not enough profit. So this brings in the conversation and the argument. And I know Toby doesn't know as much about Xactimate as I do, um, which I wish I didn't know much about it. But there was a belief or you're told that all of these numbers are built into that software. Listen, I don't know what you're using, um, and it may some things are maybe in there and some aren't. But you, it's your responsibility to learn what's included, whichever platform you use. And if it does not include, if you're not charging enough in Xactimate for your overhead and your for your profit, you've got to compensate for it and add it in. Mm-hmm. Shameless plug: We have a course called Xactimate. What they don't tell you, um, we'll put a link in the bottom. If you are being told that we only pay what's Xactimate download prices are for your zip code, um, you're being lied to. You're being uh, the terms and conditions of Xactware tell you otherwise. And I would like you to go see this course and consume it. You may not even know, and that's the reason I'm bringing it up. We we publish this course after a lot of people have asked over and over and over, and and honestly. Um, because I don't think we are great at marketing or we're busy like everybody else. We have some of these books, some of this stuff we're talking about applies to us, but people find these things. Oh, wow. I wish I'd have read this book or wish I'd have taken this course years ago. Yeah. It's just, you know, we have so much going on, but if you're listening to this, pick up the course. It's real simple. It's less than an hour. Um, There's a lot of downloadable documents there, things like that. So, but you've got to put your profit in there. I don't care if you add it on with 10 to 10. I don't care if you bake it into your pricing. You've got to cover it. So figure that out. You know, um, I, I just, I, I really love this industry and I like to watch people succeed, but it's education. You can't succeed without overhead being covered in profit. Cannot. And listen, um, we're, we're, we've been on here a little while. I want to tell you the last part I had written here, Toby, was once you know Everything, not everything. If once you have a better understanding of what your overhead is, your break even, your markup, your margin, your gross and net, how all those things play in, it opens up the opportunity of a lot of new things. You just start budgeting, buying goods, supplies at better pricing, and how that can impact your profit, in which mm-hmm. profit means you know sharing with either more benefits for staff. 
Um, I, can, I, lo- I love to tell people, you know what's killing a lot of people? Buying crap at Home Depot. Paying retail. Yeah, that that's a big one. Uh, if, if you're running any sort of, you know, business that has a fair amount of volume, find a supply house, get contractor pricing. Um, and stock there, up. Stock up a little bit. Stock up. You know, it's going to require that you manage some inventory. But you also, you know why you can't, you know why you can't stock up? Don't have profit. Don't have profit. Yeah. And you may not have the space. But think if you can save 18% by buying in bulk and some things that you use almost every day. I um, just had this conversation with a client of mine <laughs> just last week. That goes um, straight to profit. That goes straight to the bottom line. It does. They're they're buying a, a you know, they do some pressure washing, mm-hmm. and they're buying gallons of bleach at the local retail establishment mm. and they could be buying it from a supply well, you know a supply house in 55 gallon drums and cutting at least but you know the good you know the good news they're supporting that local store i, I said local <laughs> i said local i didn't mean yeah. it like that yeah it is a national okay. chain okay but, um, but they're supporting people i mean there's yeah. something there for that but listen yeah there is that's where you got to decide how much profit you need you may want to support the local ace hardware or the local walmart there's local people working there but you're not helping your. If you're struggling, these are areas you need to really Absolutely. dial down on. And, and and listen, fleet maintenance. You know why most people have to work on their fleet because they don't keep up with the scheduled preventative maintenance, and it goes down and it costs them a lot more. Yep. Just like our bodies, we don't go to the doctor. We wait till something's broken and it costs us a lot. Um. So you know, that's it. I just it really this whole topic. I want you to get this book. I want you to understand overhead and profit margin. I want you to learn it on your own if you can. Um, if not, we're going to give you some options here, but, um, we just talked about a lot today. Let's start winding down. We covered a lot of stuff. I hope it was entertaining. I hope some of it, I think it all kind of connected. Um, we talked about the overhead profit. We talked about relationships with agents and adjusters, or even your referral partners of how you estimate that could be better. If you had a better understanding of your numbers, you could explain that to your partners a little bit better and maybe Mm -hmm. see if they can see your side of it. Um, and you know, some books with this book about that. And just, um, I think the last thing I wanted to tell you about overhead and profit as I, as I whittle this thing down and and knowing your numbers is once you know, yes, you can obviously start making some decisions, but you can also start, you'll stop doing work that's not profitable. There's a misconception that you can't outsell bad margins. If you are doing cheap work, Selling more of it is not going to make that pain go. It's going to help you cover payroll next week, but you're just actually making it bigger. If you're not making enough to cover this pin and you just want to sell more of them, you're still only making $1.50. You've got to sell 500 of these. You're not getting that many jobs. And it's it's just a game mm-hmm. that you get caught up into. Instead of pump the brakes, settle down, find people who want to pay what you're worth. Because everybody has a few customers say, Oh my God, as long as they come through and they pay me, it's that one out of 40. Like, I make great numbers on that job. Do more of those. Yeah. Focus on that. Yep. And just imagine what your business would look like then. Yep. That's where the uh, the data aspect of accounting yeah. and the PL really comes into play because you can look at that from an analytical perspective and say, those jobs are killing us. Yeah. If you don't have a good dashboard for your numbers, I'd like you to reach out to uh, us or Toby. Uh, I mean, you gotta have a dashboard. You gotta. It's not hard, guys. It's not. It's it's not made only for Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. Um, reach out to us at RestorationAdvisors.com. What I want to do to call to action here is don't continue to run your business as a small out of your shop. Uh, not everybody wants to be 20 million. I'm not saying. Right. I'm not saying that. But build a a really good strong, financially stable, dependable, consistent company, well-rounded, good leadership, get, gets you out of the truck, gets you out of the job so that you can focus on this stuff. Um, and it's what we do. I mean, I, I, I think I'm guilty of not telling people enough about that sometimes. And just like, you know, it's it's lonely. It's It can be you – know, when you are when you don't have a partner and business partner, you know, who's, who's there to help you? You know, you can yeah. – you can you can you can go and 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 uh, you know ask some friends and I, I'd like to say hopefully you get the right hopefully you get the right information from them but they may just be as lost as you are and and yep 
You've got to really validate that it's good information. But uh, that's about our about our podcast. Uh, that's it. Anything for you? Episode twenty two in the books. In the books. Uh, Halloween's coming up. Everyone have a safe trick or treat. Save me all the candy corns, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks. <laughs>